Well, good morning, church family. It's great that we can gather together today, and I just want to say a quick thank you to Brooke for kind of leading us through what our community's up to and how we can connect, Ben and Jenny for leading us in musical worship, and then for the studio team who's here putting this together. Thank you guys for all of your work to make this happen. Um, if we haven't met before, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Community Church, and really glad to be looking at God's Word with you today and opening that up. We are starting a new sermon series this morning called Learning to Lament. It's beautiful outside. It's finally sunny. It's getting warmer. Spring is going to turn into summer really soon. We just celebrated Jesus' resurrection, and it seems like we should be turning the corner into praise, into excitement, into enthusiasm, just, just culturally. Um, and yet we're starting a sermon series titled Learning to Lament, How to Deal with Our Doubts and Disappointments. And it seems a little bit weird to me in this moment to do that based off of the beautiful weather outside. And like I mentioned, the change of seasons, it seems like we're supposed to be looking at something positive and exciting. But I really feel like God is calling us as a church family to dive into this topic of lament and to talk about what it means to actually grieve over sin, over loss, over hardships. And so this morning we're going to kick that sermon series off and we'll be in this topic for as long as it seems right. As we get started this morning, what is lament? Well, dictionary.com describes lament as the way that we feel, show, or express grief, sorrow, or regret. Lament is the proper way for us to deal with our doubts and disappointments. It's the space between hope-filled dreams and hurt-filled reality. Lament is that space that we live between this, this vision, this excitement, this, this future that we picture, and this present that we are stuck in. In his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Mark Rigope, I'm going to refer to this book a lot throughout the sermon series, so I encourage you to pick this book up and, and read through it. He, he defines lament as the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. See, lament is what happens when you truly, deep down, you believe that God is good, yet many things in your life don't feel good. Can any of you relate to that? I know all of you can. And again, why this sermon series now? Well, because the reality is long before COVID-19 hit, our church family, our church community has been experiencing hard circumstances. It, it, it seems like over the past year to year and a half, for whatever reason, our church family, our church community, and people that live in our surrounding community, me and Brittany know many people from the school system for our, from our own neighborhood who are dealing with heavy stuff. And it seems like pain, like loss, like suffering has been amplified in our church community and our surrounding community. Things like dementia, miscarriages or infertility, mental health issues, undiagnosed or undiagnosable health issues, messy breakups and or divorce, unresolved relational tensions in families and friends, job loss, cancer, and death. These things seem to be impacting our church family and our local community at an unusual rate over this past year or two. And so I think it's time for us to pause and to press into how do we deal with this? 
Now, on top of all those things that I just mentioned, all the normal suffering, all the accelerated suffering that we've been experiencing over the last year or two, on top of that, we have the added pressure of living through a global pandemic and learning what that looks like and how to do that. See, suffering always has been and always will be a part of life, but it's certainly been amplified these days. So I think it's time for us to dive in and figure out what do we do with this? What do we do with suffering? Far too often, uh, Christians in churches and just people in general, we, we minimize our suffering or we, or we ignore it. But the reality is that the Bible has this language called lament, which is, allows us to come to God with all that we have. It allows us to bring our doubt and disappointment to God while still fighting to cling to and love. And so we're going to do that over the coming weeks. We're going to just be looking at various passages throughout Scripture that talk about lament as we learn how to understand lament. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 77. That's the text that we're going to be in this week. But before we get specifically into Psalm 77, I just want to cover kind of three big picture questions related to lament. The first one is, what is a lament? I've already touched on that, but let's describe and define lament very briefly. And this is kind of taken from Mark Rogope's book. I reworded it a little bit, but here's, here's how I'm going to define lament. It's the space between present pain and future promise. See, God has given his followers, his people, the world, this incredible future promise that he will return and make all things new. Revelation 21 is one of my favorite passages. God says, I will remove every tear from your eyes and suffering shall be no more and death shall be no more. That's an incredible future promise. But the reality is we live in the already not yet kingdom of God. Jesus has purchased our salvation. He has given us this promised future and yet we live in present pain. All of us to different degrees of pain right here and now, but the reality is we live waiting for that future promise and in between we experience pain. And so lament is the space between present pain and future promise. Why do we lament? Well, we, we, we lament it's because it's a biblical grace given to help us grieve. We're meant to grieve sad things because they're sad. God engages our emotions. He doesn't tell us to just to buck up, to cheer up. It'll get better. This too shall pass. And, and sure, some of those things are reality, and, and there's a time and a place to, to remind each other that this too shall pass. But what we do oftentimes in just in life, whether it's Christians or a church or just people, is we, we're uncomfortable with suffering. Many of us are uncomfortable with sadness. And so, so we sweep it under the rug and we ignore it and we pretend like it doesn't exist and, and we try to move on and, and kind of shut up our emotions, shut up our grief, shut up our mourning rather than exposing it or letting it out or dealing with it. Again, Mark Rigope in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, he says this, finding an explanation or quick solution for grief while an admirable goal can circumvent the opportunity afforded in lament. To give a person permission to wrestle with sorrow instead of rushing to its end. Walking through sorrow without understanding and embracing the God-given grace of lament can stunt the grieving process. And so we lament because it's a grace 
from God given to us to help us deal with our grief, with our loss, with our pain, with our doubts, with our disappointments, with our questions. And then thirdly, how do we lament? Well, we, we lament differently. This is good news because all of us are wired differently. And so what we're going to find in this sermon series is that the Bible gives us universal principles that are expressed by unique personalities. This is a gift of God that we're going to see in the scriptures that regardless of how you're wired, God gives universal principles for how we lament that can be expressed in a variety of ways. You're the stoic type. You don't like to show emotion. You like to keep a straight face and press on and press ahead. Well, guess what? You can grieve that way. You can lament as a stoic. You're the emotional type. You're always expressing your emotions. You're, you, you wear your heart on your sleeve. Guess what? God gives you a gift. You can lament. You can grieve in that way. See, God, God created us all uniquely and differently, and it's good and right for us to lament differently. And so, so, church, I want you to feel just kind of a burden off your shoulders that in God's kingdom, in your security of relationship with him, you can be you. He will meet you where you're at. He will work with you as you are. And he will lead you ultimately to where he wants you to be in his presence where there are pleasures forevermore and fullness of joy. And that day will come again. But in between, the space in between, when you're living in present pain, waiting for a future promise, we need to learn how to lament, how to grieve, how to express our emotions, our loss, our pain, how to ask our questions. And so in an effort to help us as a community learn how to lament, we're going to look at various passages in Scripture over the coming weeks and just look at biblical examples of lament. Today, starting at Psalm 77. So could you flip to Psalm 77 with me? Get your eyes on God's Word. Check it out. As you flip there, let me give you a little bit of context for this psalm. This psalm is a communal lament. It's meant for the people of God, the the church of God in the Old Testament, the Israelites. It's meant for all of them to join into singing and praying this song of suffering. Their suffering in this psalm isn't specific, but is general. So there are certain psalms of lament where it's about a very specific instance, something that happened, a very specific suffering. Psalm 77 is this general lament. It's, it, it's a community of people who all have their different brokenness, who all have their different loss, losses, who all have these different experiences, and then maybe some communal experiences as well, like maybe they're all going through a global pandemic together, and maybe they're all handling that different, a different way. Maybe some have lost a child. Maybe some have lost a grandchild. Maybe some have lost a spouse. Maybe some have lost a friend. Maybe some have lost a parent. It's this community of people who are suffering together. That's the context here. And, and there's often, uh, there, there's three ways, why, three reasons why we gener- generally, generally suffer. Sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. We, we do something that creates dysfunction or harm in our lives because we've been disobedient to God's good word and good ways. And so there's suffering in our life because of our own sin. Sometimes we suffer in life because of somebody else's sin. Something that somebody did to us has caused deep suffering and pain in our life. 
And sometimes we just suffer because the world is broken. Sometimes we suffer for a variety of reasons that are completely out of our control. And it's not something specifically that we did. It's not something specifically that somebody else did to us. But it's just the reality of this broken world. And in Psalm 77, like most suffering, I think it's a combination of those three. God's people are suffering because of their own disobedience, their own sin. God's people are suffering because the surrounding nations have been afflicting them. And God's people are suffering because they live in a broken world. Because there's famines, because there's plagues, because people get sick and die. And so that's how we find God's people in Psalm 77. And as we look at Psalm 77, we're going to see some of these biblical principles for how we are to lament this morning. So as we look at Psalm 77, we're going we're gonna to understand how we can bring our grief, how we can bring our pain, how we can bring our doubts, how we can bring our disappointment to God. Psalm 77. I'm not going to read the entire thing here. We're going to go through the entire thing kind of section by section. So let's just follow the logic of this psalm here. Let's start it with the first two verses. What do we do when we're living in the midst of pain? When we need to be lamenting, what does lament look like? What are the principles here? Well, Psalm 77 gives us three principles. The first one is to seek God. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your disappointment, in the midst of your questions, seek God. Look at what the psalmist does, verse 1 and 2. He says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. And then jump down to verse 10. And the psalmist again says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. See, the, the psalmist here is in the midst of pain, and he's written this communal lament for a group of people, a community of people who are in pain, and he instructs us when we're in pain, when we're dealing with doubt, disappointment, depression, loss, the first principle from this passage of how to lament is to continue to seek God. In your troubles, cry out to God. Cry out to him day and night. Look at verse 2. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without weary. And see, this, this is telling us that in the midst of pain, don't shut God out. Don't shut him up. Don't ignore him. Don't turn a cold shoulder to God, but seek him. Run after him. Call out to him in the day when you feel depressed, in the night when you feel alone. Continue to cry out to God. How do we cry out to God? Well, we cry out to God by bringing our doubts, our disappointments, our emotions, and our questions to him. See, sometimes I don't think we seek God always in the midst of our despair because we try to clean ourselves up. Like, we know God is holy he is good, and so then sometimes we feel subtly guilty or wrong about, about bringing God what's really going on in our heart as if he doesn't already know anyway. But I think sometimes we fail to seek God because we feel like we need to bring a cleaned up or a proper version of ourselves to God. And I love what the psalmist does here. He starts out verse 1 and 2, I cry aloud to God, and he will hear me in the day of trouble I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. He seeks God, but he seeks God specifically 
by bringing what's really going on in his heart to God. He brings his doubts. He brings his disappointments. He brings his emotions, and he brings his questions to God. And he doesn't clean them up. I mean, if most people talk like this in church, we would try and straighten them up, right? Look at what the psalmist says. Verse 3, When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Can you imagine? The psalmist is saying, when I think about God, I moan. Like this, 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 this moan, this, this word here, it's like agony and pain. It's like a whimper. When I meditate, my spirit faints. And I, I don't even really want to think about you, God, right now, because when I do, it just hurts. I don't understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. And, and I believe that you're good, but I'm not experiencing that good. And so that conflict in my soul, it causes me to moan and to faint. I don't even have strength to comprehend why you are doing what you are doing. The psalmist seeks God by bringing his doubts, disappointments, emotions, and questions to God. Not by, not by avoiding them. Not by shutting them up. Not by covering them up. Not by saying, God, you are holy. And internally he's like, and I don't like you right now. No, he, he brings that to God. Verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. You hold my eyelids open. If you've ever been in a place of depression or loss, you know in the middle of the night when you can't sleep and all you want to do is sleep, your body's tired, your emotions are drained, your mental state is drained, and you're praying, God, just help me sleep, and you don't sleep. And you're like, God, why won't you give me the gift of sleep? That's what the psalmist is feeling here. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. He's in despair. Verse 5, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Okay, so he's saying, I want to remember the good things and I want to search that out and, and I want to praise God. But look at how, what he actually comes to. Verse 7, 8, 9. Will the Lord spurn forever and never be favorable again? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Can any of you relate to that? Bring your doubts. Bring your disappointments. Bring your emotions. Bring your questions to God. You're in good biblical company. God's people, all of Israel, sang this song. They prayed this prayer. They felt these feelings. God, why? Will you ever be favorable to me again? Why are you taking all the things and the people that I love? This doesn't make sense. This, some, sometimes the, the things that we experience, the loss and, and the, the grief that comes as a result of that that we experience, it just seems senseless, doesn't it? Some of the suffering that our church community has gone through in the last year, as Brittany and I have processed it and prayed through it together and talked through it together, both of us are just like, it just seems so senseless. What's the, why would God allow that? It, it seems like there's no reason for this to have happened. And the psalmist understands. He's been there. And he tells us to seek God. Don't stop reaching out. Don't stop crying out. Don't stop 
questioning, doubting, wrestling with, bringing your emotions to God, and he shows us that it's okay to do that. Will the Lord never be favorable to me again? If that's how you feel, that's what you should be asking. Are his promises at an end for all of time? If that's how you feel, that's what you should be asking. Has God forgotten to be gracious? If that's how you feel, that's what you should be asking. Has he in anger shut up his compassion? If that's how you feel, that's what you should be asking. Bring these emotions to God. That's the way, church family, that we start to heal. That's part of the language of lament is to be honest with God about how we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're wrestling with. He already knows what's going on. We have this God who, who knows us intimately. He knows you better than you know yourself. And so what you're kind of internally thinking and trying to say, I can't say that to God. I can't think that about God. God knows it. He knows it to a greater extent than you do. He knows what happened to you as a child that caused you to think that way. He knows what's currently going on in your mind and your heart. Like when we struggle to identify our own emotions, our own thoughts, our own processes, God knows. He knows you intimately. And so don't hide your pain. Don't hide your doubts. Don't hide your fears. Don't hide your frustrations. Don't hide your disappointments from God. Bring them to him. And church, I want us to learn this language together so that we become the type of community who can handle people's lament. Who, who can walk through sadness and grief with each other without giving that quick answer. Oh, cheer up. It'll get better. What you're dealing with can't be that bad compared to what other people are going through. That stuff is so unhelpful in the moment of suffering and grief. And so let's become a safe place. Let's become a safe community where we can bring our lament to one another. And we can, like, like, um, like Jesus, I mean, he, he cries out. He's, he's in the, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Palm Sunday and Jesus came into Jerusalem. Everybody's praising him. And the Gospel of Luke records that after that, he goes up to the mountain and he overlooks the city and he weeps. He weeps for the city. He's broken for the people of the city because they're going to reject him and crucify him. We can do this. We can sit, I mean, the Bible gives us example of people sitting in sackcloth and ashes mourning with one another. And so church, let's do one another a favor. Let's not try to minimize our suffering. Let's not tell people to just cheer up and to get over it this Two shall pass, and there is a time and a place for that. But be wise, be intentional, build a relationship, and know when somebody just needs a shoulder to lean on and to cry on. Don't feel like you always have to, to, to speed up the grief process. If you're uncomfortable with sadness, get over it. Allow people to be sad. Allow people to be broken. Maybe you actually ought to allow yourself the same the same gift because it is a gift from God given to us to help us grow in godliness and we see it here in the Psalms. Cry out, church family. We must bring our doubts, our disappointments, our emotions, our questions to God. And then the third principle from this text kind of turns the corner now again and it is that we fight for perspective. So we start by seeking God in the midst of our doubts, our disappointments, our 
we seek God by bringing everything to him. But then after we do that, we fight for perspective. Look at verse 11 through 20. It says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And so what the psalmist does here is after he brings his doubts, disappointments, emotions, and questions to God, he fights for perspective. And I'm I'm saying fight for perspective because this is something you have to work at. And this, again, isn't to rush the process. You don't have to rush step number two to get to step number three. But you can't perpetually live in step number two. In fact, the reality is you're probably going to ping back and forth between these two daily for your life. One moment you're going to feel question everything, the next moment you're going to be like, you know what, it's fine. God's always been faithful. He'll be faithful again. And you're just going to, if you're honest with yourself, you're going to be all over the place as you learn to lament. And we need to fight for a biblical and a big picture perspective. That's one of the universal principles that we see about learning to lament is that after you bring your doubts, disappointments, emotions, and questions to God, you do need to remember who he is, what he's done, how he's been faithful in the past. Look for little signs of how he's being faithful even in the midst of your suffering and fight for this. We need biblical perspective. That's why the psalmist, he, he remembers how God has led his people throughout history. He remembers the early days of the formation of Israel. He remembers God leading Israel through the wilderness, through the Red Sea. He remembers how God showed up in moments of despair and struggle. And that helps him to keep a biblical perspective and a big picture perspective. It helps us to remember that there is a future, a, a, a promised future. Even in the midst of our present pain, there is a promised future. And so we have to fight for that perspective. Again, don't rush to it. There's going to be multiple stops on the journey. You're going to, you're going to live in some weird combination of this. That's okay. Don't beat yourself up for being like, why am I still doubting? Why am I still disappointed? Why am I still so sad? Why am I questioning everything about God? Because I know who he is and I know what he's done and I've, I've been reminding myself of the truth. I've been preaching the gospel to myself and, I, and, and I'm fighting for a perspective, yet I still feel these things. It, it's not a sequential process. The Christian life, the life of a disciple following Jesus, it's not like this linear thing where, yep, I'm just following. It, it's all over. It's like spaghetti. Oftentimes people compare the male and female brain like um, men are compartmentalized, right? Like we're like a waffle. Maybe you've heard this and we have little compartments and the syrup and the butter can go in that and women are more like spaghetti. Everything's all mixed together. I don't know that that's true. I think everybody's kind of like spaghetti if we're honest with ourselves. And when we learn to lament, you're going to notice your emotions, your thought processes, your doubts, your questions. You're like spaghetti, 
one moment you're like, I believe God, I trust him, I don't question him, he's for me. And, and the next moment you m- might be like, I don't believe any of what I just said. And so have grace with yourself because God has grace with you. He leads us. Look at how the psalmist ends. Your way was through the sea. See, God often leads his people through adversity, through suffering, not around it. He leads us through. He led Israel through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footsteps were unseen. Oftentimes in the midst of suffering, in this present pain, we're struggling to see God, and we need to remember, we need to fight for perspective that he's been with us, he'll be with us again. And then look at verse 20. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. See, God has sent his son Jesus, the good shepherd, to lead us like a flock. We have a God who who doesn't stay removed from our pain, from our suffering, and just looks down upon us. We have a God who has come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, to lead us like a flock by the hand, He knows our suffering. He's experienced our suffering. Jesus, God in the flesh, has suffered in our place on our behalf. Not only is he the good shepherd who leads us through our suffering, he's also the lamb who has led to the slaughter in our place, on our behalf. And so church, in the midst of your suffering, as you learn to lament, cling to Jesus, the one who knows what it's like to suffer, to suffer unimaginable pain and loss. And so as we do that, as we continue to gather virtually, we're going to close down our messages with taking communion because we want to remember Jesus the one who lived the life that we can't, the one who died the death that we deserve in our place on our behalf, the one who leads us through all of these emotions, the one who experienced every type of suffering and overcame sin and death. 